to some degree, this is still relatively new and we're all learning. So the more that we go through this, the more that we share those learnings, those best practices, and importantly for us as a utility, the more that we are at the table early on in the process and stay at the table throughout the process, the more help that we can offer both from a traditional perspective and kind of more of a non-traditional perspective. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. When we think of the acceleration of electric transportation, the spike in light-duty vehicle sales comes to mind. But it's not just passenger vehicle sales that are scaling up. Medium to heavy-duty vehicles, including school buses, are increasingly becoming electrified, much to the benefit of the communities they operate in. Today's episode will take a deep dive into electric school buses and how electric companies and other key stakeholders are working together to ensure a smooth and equitable transition. EEI Senior Director of Electric Transportation, Kellen Schefter, will discuss a new white paper titled Electric School Buses, Accelerating Equitable Deployment Through Understanding Grid Impacts and Policy Solutions, with three co-authors of the report. Exelon's Director of Clean Energy Initiatives, Chris Bozinski, CalStart Lead Project Manager of Northeast School Buses, Ann Freed, and Sue Gander, World Resources Institute Director of the Electric School Bus Initiative. Be sure to tune into our next episode for more on electric school buses. Kellen will join Consumers Energy Product Manager manager of commercial electric vehicles, Bethany Tabor, to discuss how the Michigan-based company is helping to support 11 school districts in its service territory to deploy and operate electric school buses. Kellen, I'll hand it over to you to get started. Great. And welcome to the show, Chris, Sue, and Ian. We're so happy to have you here. Um, as Brian mentioned at the top, Exelon, the World Resource Institute, and CalStart, along with EPRI and Clean Energy Works, you know, all work together on this white paper. And we want to get into it in a lot more detail just because there's wealth of information related to best practices for deploying electric school buses, policymakers, other stakeholders that have an interest in that. But before we get into that, Sue, I wanted to start with you to give a little bit of the state of play with electric school bus adoption right now. I feel like WRI, your organization, has some of the best data and tracking on this. So would love to just get a sense of where we are today and you know, number of buses on the road ordered, maybe compared to the whole total number of buses on the, on the fleet to just see where we are and, and why this report is so important. So Sue, could you help us with that? Sure. Thanks, Kellen. We're, I'll just start by saying we're really pleased to have this paper available. We know utilities are just a crucial part of our transition to electric school buses. Um, we all need to work together and we need to ensure that we prioritize equity as part of that transition. So that covers a lot of the considerations that are out there. But we we do know that race and ethnicity are a leading factor, even more so than income level and exposure to air pollution and, and the importance of, of guiding that effort. So really pleased with this report. The number that you asked for is there are currently 8,694 or close to 8,700 buses that are on the road or coming soon. And that means they're funded and you know they just need to make their way through the process. What's exciting about that is that's triple the amount compared to just two years ago. And that shows that there's you know real momentum and interest from, from schools and communities, but also reflects the impact of federal and state funding that I know we're going to talk about later. But it's still a small percentage of the more than 480,000 buses that are out there. So we really do need to keep going. It's exciting that we've got buses in 49 states, four territories, at least seven tribal nations, and they are across rural 
urban and suburban areas. And they're also tracking proportionately communities that have a concentration of black and brown students and low-income students and the poorest air quality. So I mentioned that to say that the distribution is really important as well. And that's because of the funding designs and the incentives. And so I know we're talking about policy later, but the good news is buses on the road working well, and we need more to come. Right. So yeah, 8,700 out of 480,000, you said. So we have a a good start, but a long way to go. I mean, that's really helpful. And I I do want to acknowledge, I think, so your organization and the initiative around school buses predated the bipartisan infrastructure law. But I do want to acknowledge that that law has really jump-started a lot of this activity. And so I was wondering, just along that same line, like what should listeners know about what is in that law that's really spurring this so quickly right now that makes this particular report so timely? So we are we are very pleased to have the bipartisan support for what is a $5 billion clean school bus program that the US EPA is running. That's absolutely been a game changer for schools that are looking to electrify their fleets. And we just did the math and the clean school bus program now accounts for 57% of all electric school buses on the road. So just in a very short amount of time, they've really ramped up and are really making a big a big impact alongside other funding sources that have been out there for a while as well. We've got the first round of about a billion dollars that was put out under a rebate program. We have another round of about another billion dollars of funding that was announced through a grant program. And there's currently a third round, a rebate round that's open now. So just a little headline there. Um, The deadline was just extended to Valentine's Day. Easy to remember. um, (laughs) February 14th at 4 p.m. I like to say it's ESB Mine Day. And so there's more time to apply. And we are expecting another rebate round later this year. So the funding's out there. It's continuing to come. But I will note it's getting close to the end, right? We're, We're working through the round. So now is a really important time, if you haven't already, to look into electric school buses And one thing I'll say just with respect to the clean school bus program is that we've seen, you know, many more times the demand of what's been available. And also over 90 percent of the applications have been for electric school buses compared to the other available fuel types. So that really speaks to where is this industry going? And it's clearly going electric. We also have about four point five billion dollars that's available in programs at the state level. So that's important to look at and the ability to kind of stack those fundings or weave those those different funding sources together. And then in addition to the bipartisan infrastructure law, there are also two tax credits under the Inflation Reduction Act that are really important to help school buses that all school districts can access. So it doesn't, you know, you don't have to compete for a grant or a lottery for that. And there's one provision under what's known as 45W that's up to $40,000 for school buses. And then another provision under what's known as 30C for up to $100,000 for charging infrastructure. And what's really great about both of those is they have what's known as a direct pay option, which means that school districts who are non-taxpaying entities, they can access the funding. So they can have direct access, direct pay of those as well. So all of this together has just been really critical and an important time for, you know, for all of us to be thinking about electric school buses and for utilities to be partnering with their school districts. Well, great. Thank you so much for that. And there really is a lot going on there that has changed just in the last several years. And it's it's really exciting to see. Chris, I want to turn to you about the electric company role here. And, you know, I think as Sue described, there is so much funding, but a lot of that really is focused on on the bus, you know, sort of buying down the incremental cost of the electric powertrain over, say, the, the traditional diesel powertrain. 
but there, you know, there's a huge aspect of this that has to do with infrastructure, how, how we charge electric buses. So I want to turn to you for that. You know, later in the program, we'll, I'll be talking with Consumers Energy, which has some really great success to talk about in Michigan. But maybe just to back up from that specific example, you know, generally, why is the electric company so important in this transition? And how are you viewing our industry's role as being a resource to some of these school districts? Thanks, Kellen, and excited to be here on this podcast and talk about uh, the paper that we we worked so hard on uh, throughout the course of, of last year. I think if from our perspective, the utility can play a broad role and a very central role in this. You know, we have a direct connection with our customers and our communities, and we work very closely with them on a regular basis. This is just another opportunity for us to partner with our customers and communities to help effectuate the clean energy transition. There's a number of different roles that we can play. Obviously, the easiest one is kind of business as usual, right? We are the utility. You need to connect with us to get new service and to get the electrons flowing to these charging stations to charge your buses. But I think there's a whole host of other things that we can do both from a traditional perspective and a non-traditional perspective to support this transition. I think one of the things that we have done uh, with our work at Exelon, we've already helped a couple of different school districts with deployments. So we are kind of learning as we go with the school districts, but a benefit is we can take those learnings or those lessons that we've learned and apply those to other installations or other school districts that are looking to electrify their fleet. Obviously, one of the things that we have done at Exelon is we've we've had an extensive campaign to reach out to our school districts and our school bus operators in our jurisdictions, really to make them aware of the programs that Sue talked about, both the IIJA legislation, the Clean School Bus Program, and then also the benefits that exist under IRA. So we've really kind of gone out aggressively with a campaign to talk to those folks and make them aware of this funding uh, that's out there. And then secondarily, what we've done is, you know, worked with them on applying for that funding in a number of different ways, whether that's providing a letter of support to say, hey, we are Exelon or we are the local utility company. We're going to support you through this transition in whatever way we can help you understand what the timing is in terms of building the infrastructure that's required. And then also give you a sense of what the cost of that infrastructure is going to be. So those are things that we can easily do on the front end, kind of as what I like to think about business as usual. But again, we've also done other things where we've actually kind of provided advice to different school districts and school bus operators as they kind of go through the application process to kind of help fortify those applications and provide additional support. And also, too, one of the things that we've tried to do is what's important for us is how do we think about this at scale, right? I know a lot of school bus operators or school districts are buying a couple of buses here and there, but ultimately we want to get to scale. And there are implications from an infrastructure perspective that having that sense of what is the long-term vision or what does scale look like, it helps us plan on the front end to make this a much more efficient transition and probably a much more economic transition for school bus operators and school districts. Yeah, that's that's great. Thanks. And I think scale is one of the themes we're seeing. I go back to Sue's comment around you know how far we are along the way to the the 480,000 or so bus on the road, we do have a long way to go. So I think these early learnings are going to be so important. And Ian, I wanted to turn to you for a moment, just in terms of the, the white paper itself, you all engaged EPRI, the Electric Power Research Institute, in this work. 
CalSTRAC obviously has a lot of technical expertise as well. Interested particularly in you know why that grid-related impact piece of this report was so central and what should folks look to sort of in the paper for what you learned on, on that front? Absolutely. That is a great question, John. Efforts did quite a bit of work in this paper and had a lot of insight. I think some of the insight that I was very interested in has to do with different hosting capacities at different times. So there's both temporal variation as well as annual monthly variation in hosting capacity. So that is to say, a school bus operator at certain hours might get a very large amount of electricity while at other hours might get a very small amount. And the way that utility companies work currently is that the smallest quantity, the smallest hosting capacity is what they are currently offering school bus operators. But I think knowing this gives us opportunities to figure out in the future ways that we could potentially have higher hosting capacities for those school bus operators, perhaps in the middle of the night. And I would say definitely that is a very nascent technology at the moment, but there is a lot of room to grow with that in the near future. And of course, this applies beyond ESBs as well, right? We look around the country and there's a huge movement towards electric vehicles. And so maybe we can see sort of similar things going on with fleets of all types around the country. Great, thanks. And I, I definitely encourage those sort of energy or electric power sector geeks listening to this who want to get into it uh, to check out the appendix in the report because there's a lot of really good stuff in there that builds on what Ian just said. But so let me go back to you just to, to go back to that equity point that you mentioned. You know, I think school buses, I think, you know, we all get it, right? Like it's an ultimate think of the children situation, right? Like, do we all want our kids to breathe better? Like, yes, this is like an obvious one, but the buses are more expensive. And so it would be really I think a bad outcome if they just went to the districts that it could afford it the most, right? The wealthiest districts. And even to the point that Ian just made around, you know, managing this new asset is, you know, different than a diesel bus. It, it could involve some maybe complicated energy management systems. And that maybe gives the more sophisticated operators maybe a leg up over others. So I think, you know, there's this need to make sure that we're actually just, you know, not letting all the money flow to the places where it might naturally, but actually like deliberately think about, you know, who needs it the most, where can we even out the impact. So there's a lot there, but maybe help us think through how WRI is thinking about that equity component and how that's expressed in this in this paper. Sure. Equity has been a central part of our work. Um, and I also want to give a shout out to Clean Energy Works and Margarita Parra. They developed an equity framework in the report, but let me just start with the framing on equity. It is you know, a really critical part of the, the transition. We talk about ensuring that all children have access to clean air, but that should be regardless of race or ethnicity or social and economic status or zip code. And what we know is that unfortunately, over 90% of the buses still rely on diesel fuel. This is kind of the, the clean air part that we're concerned about. Um, and those, those diesel emissions pose significant health risks to children and to communities. You know, they're linked to re respiratory illnesses, to asthma and cancer, and it can also impact academic performance and, and school attendance as well. So these are all the concerns. And what's particularly concerning then when you think about who's riding the bus and who's affected by on-road transportation emissions in general, the disproportionate burden is, is borne by communities of color, by low-income students, children with disabilities who are riding the bus and exposed to more pollution. There's a number of studies that show that people of color, regardless of where they live or their income, are exposed to more particulate matter pollution from transportation writ large, which is why the entire you know industry we're hoping is is moving in this direction, not to school buses. 
yeah, this is really critical as we think about designing the incentives and the support, as you noted. And a big part of this is that design and and the programs themselves being developed in conjunction with the communities, with the impacted communities. And so having that participation in the process is part of it. So it's not just the the outcomes, but all those pieces along the way. Well, let me go back to Chris for a moment, just in terms of, Chris, you mentioned a little bit about how things are going on the ground, but I wanted to dive into that a little bit deeper. And I know the numbers are changing, but the latest I had was, I think the Exelon companies collectively across your territories have about 190 million or so in funding to electrify more than 500 of these uh, school buses that we've been talking about. I would just love some more detail in, in how that's going and um, how Exelon is you know, positioning itself to be part of this transition for these districts. Yeah, Kellen, I think what I would say first and foremost is that we've been very fortunate that a number of our districts, you know, in our service territories have won awarding from the federal government under the Clean School Bus Program. I think we've played a role on the front end of the process. So I know that we had reached out to a number of school districts and school bus operators to make them aware of the funding and kind of go through the details of the program and really lay out for them what is available and what the funding is actually going to cover. In some situations, we actually provided letters of support for their applications for the funding that they had requested from the federal government. And then also in many situations, we actually worked with the school district to give them a sense or an indication of what type of infrastructure work on our side of the meter, the utility side of the meter, would be required to deploy those buses and build the infrastructure for those buses. So I'd say at this point, we're in the very early stages, but this is an important stage where, you know, these districts are getting their funding and they're going to look to start procuring their buses. So we need to move pretty quickly and pretty rapidly to start building out the infrastructure that is required to support those deployments. So we would be very engaged with each of the school districts or the school bus operators, kind of understanding where those buses are going to be located. I think some of the things that we'll want to talk to the school districts about is the operational and the duty cycles for those buses, because that does have an impact or does have implications on the type of infrastructure, more so from a charging perspective, to make sure that those buses can meet their operational needs and get the kids to school safely on on a daily basis and back from school on a daily basis. So it's really becoming a partnership, Kellen, and an ongoing dialogue. And I think the fortunate thing for us is that You know, for most of those districts that did win funding, they were talking to us from the very beginning, even when they had started thinking about, is this something that we want to do? They reached out to us. And I like to say to, you know, school bus operators and school districts, you know, when you're thinking about going through this journey, you really need to become BFFs with your utility company. Because again, the infrastructure is so critical, but as we've done this or we continue to do this more, We can share lessons learned and best practices from other deployments or other things that we've experienced from a school bus electrification perspective and really transition those learnings into these deployments. Because look, to some degree, this is still relatively new and we're all learning. So the more that we go through this, the more that we share those learnings, those best practices, and importantly for us as a utility, the more that we are at the table early on in the process and stay at the table throughout the process, the more help that we can offer both from a traditional perspective and kind of more of a non-traditional perspective. That's great. Yeah. And between uh, Sue's ESB mine and Chris Exelon is your BFF. I think we've got a couple of like Valentine's cards we could write up for this uh, this podcast. Um, (laughs) I I love that. But no, I mean, you you hit a, a really 
important point, this early and often engagement is like the number one message we have for, you know, new operators who are considering going electric with their fleet. It's it's just such a critical part. And I think, you know, not really fully understood until you're into the process. And I think, like you said, a lot of these districts now are are into the process. And that's where hopefully the electric, you know, companies that we represent in EEI can really step up to support. But I did want to build on on that topic just a little bit, Chris. You know, we talk a lot about thinking about how the buses and the charging will impact the electric system. But there is also an opportunity to view the what is essentially a really large battery on wheels as a potential asset to the electric company. How are you all thinking about that? Are, is this something that some of the districts and, and other stakeholders are asking about? And what do you generally tell folks when they ask these kind of questions? How can they leverage that in their planning? Yeah, so a couple of thoughts. I think what you're talking about, Kellen, is what we like to refer to in the industry as kind of vehicle to grid or vehicle to X, where you're basically exporting right. power from the batteries on these buses back onto the grid. And you can do that in a number of different situations, whether it's in an emergency situation where you need additional backup power, you can use battery storage to help with that resilience or that reliability uh, during extreme weather events or even outages. And then the other thing that we think about it from the perspective of, you know, how do we kind of lessen the peak on the grid, if you will. So in times where there's high consumption or high peak, these batteries or battery storage can be used to kind of offset those peaks or lower those peaks. And when we think about school buses, I think the way we think about it is they provide increased grid flexibility, which is a very good thing. And if you think about the example of school buses, typically most buses are usually only being used during the the winter, the fall and the spring months. They tend to sit idle during the summer, which for a lot of our utilities, that's where our highest peaks occur during the summer. So if we're able to tap into the power that exists in the batteries on these buses and export that back to the grid, it lessens or reduces that peak. But really the net net benefit from our perspective is it may lessen or lower the amount of infrastructure that needs to be built or even the number of power plants that need to be built to satisfy those peak loads. I think the other thing I would say is that you know, we think that the exportation of power back onto the grid does represent a value stream and a benefit to the school district or the school bus operator. So as we start thinking about kind of the total cost of ownership of an electric bus versus a diesel bus, this is really one value stream that a diesel bus does not have, where if you're exporting power back onto the grid, in some jurisdictions, there are mechanisms to compensate someone for doing that. So in the end, that could essentially lower the overall total cost of ownership. I think the last thing I would say on V to X or V to G technology, this is still relatively new. And I think what we need to do is we need to do more pilots and we need to test this out and understand you know, how this works, how these buses talk to and respond to events on the grid. It's easy during the summer months when the buses aren't running, but in some situations we may be able to do that during the school year. But the thing we need to take into consideration is the operational needs of the school districts in terms of getting the children to and from school every day. So I think my message on this is let's do this at a small scale now. Let's test this. Let's understand the technology 
understand the impacts to the operators of these buses. And as we get better data and better understanding and the technology improves, we can begin to scale those programs to a very meaningful or very large number. Great. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, how I think about it, certainly. But this is such a, a hot topic, right? Everyone thinks about the school buses and they often jump to this aspect of the the, the, the grid resource of it. Chris, did you want to jump back in? Yeah, I did. So the final thing I probably would want to say on this one, Kellen, would be this highlights, you know, the the concept of V2G kind of highlights what we had talked about a little bit before, that partnership or that collaboration with the utility. Because if a district is thinking about taking advantage of that value stream or doing a V2G or a V2X program, that collaboration and coordination with the utility is extremely important because Depending on where the depot is located, that could have implications from a grid perspective. Also, too, as you think about this in totality or at scale, you're going to need to do some things or think through some things on the front end as you're thinking about you know, the infrastructure that's required for your deployment. It may be slightly different in terms of the types of charging stations that you're going to use if you are actually going to apply B to G or B to X or tap into that value stream versus not doing it. So there are considerations on the front end that are very, very important to consider if you're thinking about doing B to G or B to X. Got it. Great points. Ian, let me go back to you to maybe bring it home a little bit here around on the policy implications, because, you know, I think we've discussed so far a number of, you know, the, the factors that drive, you know, school bus deployment funding work with the electric company infrastructure. And I know the paper does in its last section sort of get into some of these major sort of, what are the implications for a, a policymaker, right? So can you just help walk through a few of those examples? What are some of the important policy, you know, legislative, regulatory, whatever it may be, you know, levers that policymakers should be considering here? Yeah, that is a great question, Khaled. And definitely a lot of the paper does focus on these different uh, policy levers. I think before I answer that question, I want to encourage readers or listeners rather, who don't necessarily want to read the whole paper to read the executive summary, which does summarize so much of the importance, the important points of the paper, but in a much shorter form of writing to do so. But let me go ahead and answer the question. I think some utility sponsored program, some utility sponsored programs, including rebates and incentives for ESBs are definitely a great starting point. Those are definitely going on around the country, but I think encouraging those to continue whether those are supporting infrastructure and equipment or alternatively things like customer facing tools and resources, the utilities work with many different school districts and to be able to get lessons learned from school district A and tell that to school district B and C and D and getting as they're sort of like snowballing lessons learned and spreading those out to all the schools, because realistically more than anyone, it is the utility companies that that have those lessons learned. So I'll start with that. Another thing I see is policymakers collaborating with PUCs and utility companies to develop programs and incentives and innovative rate designs that support equitable electrification. I think there is a lot of room for this. I think there is a lot of room specifically for creativity and things that we haven't seen before. I think making sure that we are focusing on accelerating the widespread implementation of ESPs and access to benefits with the focus on underserved communities specifically is very important. But rate design can also be an effective tool for policymakers. I think there are many creative rate design solutions that have not yet been implemented, but have potential to be implemented. I think I don't 
I don't have any offhand, but I think there are there are many opportunities here specifically. I think from our perspective as utility, one thing I would mention, you know, Sue talked about this before, a majority of the funding is really available for the buses only. And there's very little funding or limited funding that exists for infrastructure. That infrastructure piece could be a significant cost. So I think we as the utility think about policies that would complement what is happening at the federal level for the purchase of the buses and policies that would enable the development of the infrastructure or the investment in the infrastructure that supports those electric buses and have the ability for us as the utility to socialize those costs over our broader over a broad customer base because uh, we've talked about it a lot here, the multiple benefits you know, that can accrue to all of our customers, you know, from going to electric school buses. I think the second thing I would mention is this transition because of the federal funding is happening very, very rapidly. And one of the things that exists today in the utility industry is typically if you want to build something, you come to us and you tell us you want it built and we go ahead and make the investment and build it for you. I think there is a clear opportunity here because we know in a lot of states, there are now laws that have been passed that require school buses, all new purchases of buses to be electric. We know these buses are coming. So I think there's an opportunity from a policy perspective to come up with policies and procedures that allow for low to no regret investment decisions to be made and those investments to be made in support of school bus electrification or broadly, you know, transportation electrification to start building some of that infrastructure in advance so that we're ready for that demand or we can further accelerate it. I think the last thing I would mention on policy, just to build off something that Ian said, I think any policy that we develop, the most important thing is for us to prioritize and really identify and support those under-resourced communities as we go through this transition. So that should be a main priority of any policy that we develop around this. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. And Sue, I'll ask you to react in a moment too. But just to build on that, Chris, I I completely agree. I think you know one of the elements of equity here is is sort of the the grid as a public resource, right? And I think a, a, a terrible outcome would be if you know other commercial customers move into an area and now there isn't grid capacity to support the school district at the end of the the line that's also trying to do the right thing and and add electric school buses. And th- these are kind of the balances that you know the public utilities commissions and other regulators need to take into account. And I think that's why your message around really proactively investing in those no regrets locations is so important because it's not just these commercial customers, it's school districts that also need to to have the capacity to, to again, do the right thing, electrify their, their school buses. Yeah, Kellen, you did, you did spark a reaction from me. And it's a great example for us in Maryland where legislation was passed that requires starting in July of 2024 that all new buses need to be zero emission vehicles. So what we have done as our utility in Maryland, Baltimore Gas and Electric, they have actually filed a school bus program with the commission in Maryland, one to support the support and complement kind of the, the work that's being done and the funding that's available at the federal level, but also to help the state effectuate that policy. So this program would be designed or is designed to basically provide funding for additional funding for rebates on the buses themselves but then also provide funding for infrastructure, both on the utility side of the meter, and then also some funding that would be available on the customer side of the meter for any infrastructure upgrades, 
and even getting to the point where it would fund some actual charging stations. So I think that's a great example of what we're doing at Exelon. And I know some other utilities across the country are doing the same thing, but we're being responsive to these changes in policy or this transition that Sue is talking about really, again, with a focus on accelerating and supporting and complementing the existing policies and programs that are in place. Great. Ian, let me go back to you because this did start with a question to you about policy. Anything else you wanted to close out on, on that front? Uh, yes. Thank you, Kellen. I had two other points. One of them was talked about in much detail. So thank you, Chris, for bringing that up. And then the other thing I wanted to add, a final answer to the question of several policy levers is I think, and this is much, I think this is a lot lower on the list than the topic that we just talked about, but I think equitable compensation mechanisms for vehicle to grid utilization is one other thing that we should think about as a policy lever once vehicle to grid technologies have gotten further and have shown themselves to be more useful. And I think reflecting on what Sue said before, data sharing is incredibly important for V2G so that we can see those successful projects because we hear a lot about them, but we don't necessarily see what those successes are. So I think data from those V2G projects so that we can then incorporate equitable mechanisms for equitable compensation mechanisms for V2G. That is to say, making sure that schools, if they are producing energy for the grid, are getting paid for them. Got it. Thanks. So wrapping up here, I mean, this has been a really great discussion. Uh, Sue, I sort of wanted just to ask you maybe to summarize a bit. You know, you, you helped support this paper in a big way. It's out now. What are you hoping some of the key stakeholders, audiences take away from it? What would sort of your quick elevator pitch be for why, why this is so important to look at right now? Right. Well, thanks, Kellen. And you asked about the elevator pitch. I'm picturing a little bit of a tall building here. But what I'd say is we know electric school buses have the potential to offer the cleanest ride to school for over 20 million kids every day. And they have a host of other benefits. That's for the economy, it's for the grid, for the planet, for more. And we also know the funding's available now to help get us started. What this report does for the really the first time is describe how utilities you know, play a unique and crucial role in that transition and providing ideas on what they should consider, how to support infrastructure, how to look at equity, how to examine grid impact. So I can't recommend it more. I'd love to have everybody consider it as a as a go-to resource, anyone looking, anyone really, utilities and beyond, looking to equitably electrify their fleet um, or help with that effort. And our hope is that all utilities will read it, executive summary, and beyond is great too, act on it, and really become ESB champions in their communities. So really excited to get this out there and you know have this available. Great. One thing I wanted to flag as well, EEI made a pledge along with the Beneficial Electrification League at the beginning of the EPA's Clean School Bus Program to really support what we've been talking about here, sort of the electric company side of things. And we've been hard at work giving, you know, if EPA has a school district asking for a contact, an electric company, we'll look that up for them. We do have our own working groups of folks, uh, Chris and some of his peers across the industry, trying to share best practices and things. So we are eager to support this transition as well. And I think this paper will be a nice hook just to continue those conversations. Chris, Sue, and Ian, so much for joining our podcast. This is a really great discussion, one of my favorite topics, and hopefully this gets the word out on, one, the paper, but also just to how all stakeholders involved in this transition to electric school buses can play 
can play a role and really help accelerate things. So thank you all. Thanks, Kellen. Thanks so much, Gallard. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.